The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, Dr. Christian Jensky applying functional medicine lab testing in clinical practice and how to take the plunge from conventional to functional. Whoa. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. No, I did send it. I sent it to your email. My personal email? Yeah. Uh-huh. Patty, I have 13,000 unread emails. That's a lie. You know these how are hard... lies. No, that's You don't know that many Take people. You need to read these emails or start deleting them. Why is that like that? Hello. <laughs> hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing today? I can't believe you have 13,000 unread emails. Oh, it's, there's that makes no, no point sense. in even opening it up anymore. I can't find anything. I mean, there's so much spam in there. It's Ugh. like, I don't even know what to type in the search bar. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's crazy. It's, I just need to delete it and start over. Ugh, Michael Chapman. Napalm the whole thing. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Patty Devers? Crushing it. Crushing awesome. it. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to this podcast called The Lab Report, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. By the way, it's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. That's right. And Ding. if you are new to this show, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you so much for your support. And maybe hit the subscribe button, rate, yeah. review, share it with some yeah, friends. Totally do that. Email them to Michael. No, you can, well, not yeah. Send it to my personal email address. <laughs> I'll take a look at it. Chappers, what are we talking about today? Good question, Oliver. Today we are going to talk to a Dr. Christian Jensky. Dr. Jensky is an ear doctor who now does functional medicine. And as you know, Michael, ER people are my people. Yeah, I'm working I've, in the hospital. I've for heard so this. Long. What yeah. makes them your people? I just appreciate what they do. That's like a really hard job to work in an emergency well, I can department. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we've all seen the show. Like, it does not look. <laughs> Assuming that Michael Crichton captured that perfectly, I would, that's not, seems intense. I just, I gravitate to those people. I just understand them. And you know, my leap from working in the hospital to Genova and to functional medicine was a tricky one. So yeah. I'm interested in Dr. Jensky's leap. I bore witness to the whole thing. You did. Who could forget the day that you came in and you said, ashwagandha, is that a real thing? Because I don't believe that's a real thing. <laughs> I thought you made the word up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, don't don't even get me started on Shisandra. And look how far I've come, Michael. You know what, Patty? You have come a long way. Thank you. You know what else? What? Christian Jensky has also uh-huh. come a long way. And I, quite frankly, can't wait to talk to him. Me too. And, you know, it's funny because we talk about all these functional medicine topics and we talk about our lab tests, but it's a whole different story when you apply it in your practice. It becomes an art. And I would be willing to say that Christian Jensky is an artiste. Oh, let's call him up. Or artist, however you want to say it. Michael Chapman. Yes. Guess who's here? I'm pumped. I know. I'm super excited for this. Dr. Christian Jensky is here. And Dr. Christian Jensky earned a bachelor's degree in chemistry from the College of William and Mary. He went on to complete a post-baccalaureate pre-medical certification in anatomy from the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine, where he then received a medical degree. Upon completing his residency at VCU, Dr. Jensky became a board-certified emergency medicine physician. Eventually, after years of working in the ER, he found functional medicine did, and did a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine and became board certified in integrative and holistic medicine. He also completed the functional certification pathway through IFM. 
He currently practices functional medicine as part of the team at Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine, which has been featured by various television programs, newspapers, and national health and wellness influencers. And with that, welcome to the show, Dr. Thank Jensky. you for being here, sir. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I'm always interested by this aspect of people who you're a conventionally trained ER physician, and then you took the leap into functional medicine, which I presume is is kind of a, a big leap. It's I a big only one. know it from <laughs> like my co-host here, Patty. But <laughs> what prompted you to change your focus and your entire way of practicing medicine? Um, so yeah, it is. Uh, it's kind of the polar opposite if you think about it, but. Um, it was really my own health journey or lack of health and um, and burnout, which is completely a real thing. And mm-hmm. we weren't really kind of taught about that back when I was in medical school. And thankfully now it's, it's touched upon, but um, I was kind of unhappy. I felt overworked and um, I was unhealthy and I was 40 at the time. I'm 46 now. So this is six years ago. We just had a baby and, um, and I found myself being exhausted just playing with an infant. And I was like, this is not right. Like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm a little overweight. Yeah. I could exercise and eat better, but, um, there was more to it. And where I was seeking help in conventional medicine, I was kind of hitting the typical roadblocks, uh, you know, being prescribed medications, being told it was X, Y, and Z and, and ultimately it wasn't getting better. So I took it upon myself to kind of figure it out and started listening to some podcasts, started learning about functional medicine making some lifestyle changes. And ultimately, um, I saw things change. And and it was kind of overwhelming how quickly things started to get better when you hmm. just transform your lifestyle a little bit. And so then I found Dr. Hartman, who was a local practitioner, had just opened up his functional medicine practice, sought him out, kind of explained my case. And he was immediately like, yeah, I think it's this, I think it's that. Um, and he was absolutely right. And he was all kinds of esoteric stuff like heavy metals and mold toxins and all these things that, you know, conventional medicine failed to find. And at that point in time, it was just like, I mean, saying a light bulb moment is kind of an understatement. It was just like a hammer over the head. Like, this is mm-hmm. what I, I'm meant to do. This is what I need to do. How do I do it? So um, crazy as it sounds during that time, having two children um, 15 months apart, Mm. Not planned, but <laughs> I love them. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I undertook a two-year fellowship in integrated medicine while doing a certification pathway in functional medicine, while traveling and doing locum tenens for emergency medicine to support my family and, wow. and wow. treating myself of all these things that I was now being diagnosed with. So I, I look back in hindsight, like, I don't know how the hell I did it, but right. I did. And I think it was just kind of sheer will and desire right. to be better. Okay. And, um, you know, came out the other side. And, um, you know, at one point in time, Hartman's practice was so busy. It was like, when are you done? You know, I oh, need your help. Wow. And and it was just this kind of perfect moment where I finished, I boarded in both. I was able to join on and I've been there for three years now. And it's just been amazing. It's just been this kind of, if functional medicine was available when I was in medical school, I probably would have joined on then. But um, yeah. I think things happen for a reason. And for me, this was, this was then. Do you still work so in the cool. ER? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. Wow. Um, (laughs) Crazy, right? Right. Um, Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, this last two years has been completely insane for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm there part. I don't even I can't even say part time. It's kind of PRN. I'm there a couple shifts a month. Um, As the practice has grown, I'm able to do that less and less, which has been kind of nice. But I just had to read board certify my 10 year ER boards, which Mm -hmm. is a beast. But thankfully, I passed. And now, 
I'm good for another 10. And um, my plan is to just kind of work a shift or two per month to keep my skills sharp. Because I, I mean, I, I didn't hate emergency medicine. It was my first love. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it's been a bumpy road, but it's been pretty amazing too. And I still feel like I make a difference. And, and I will say, as odd as it sounds, functional medicine has made me a better ER doctor mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. I, I think that the benefit of practicing conventional medicine kind of adds a layer to my functional approach. But, you know, whereas in the past prior to functional medicine, when a patient would come to the ER, say with abdominal pain, and you do the typical workup, right? We rule out the badness. You're looking for what's going to kill you, what needs surgery, what can we treat and send you home, or do you need to be admitted type of deal? And it's like, all right, we ruled out pancreatitis. You don't have gallstones. It's not an infection, et cetera, et cetera. And then ultimately you get a diagnosis of nonspecific abdominal pain and right. fall mm-hmm. with your primary or here's a GI referral. Maybe you need to get scoped. And now I can sit down and say, maybe this is SIBO. Maybe this yeah. is a food sensitivity. Maybe you have dysbiosis. Maybe this is leaky gut. And they look at me like I'm speaking Polish and <laughs> right. I just have to kind of explain to them what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's just pretty amazing to be able to offer them more than I was able to offer in the past or the classic patient that comes in on a stat and I'm like, you need to be on CoQ10 mm-hmm. immediately. And it's just these little things that you can do that, that make it better and different, you know? I love, I love this so much. Yeah. I love this so much because Michael and I talk about this all the time where I would say, I have so much regret after all of that time in the hospital that there are patients that I could have helped. And yeah. so I love that you're doing that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I had never really thought about it from that flip perspective too. the the aspect of it making you a better ER doc. And I, I think there's a lot of docs out there that could probably that are trying to figure out how to migrate from their conventional practices to more of a functional medicine practice. And so uh, do you have any tips for for those people? Because it sounds like you're you've you've kind of accomplished it for the most part. Yeah, I think it's just a kind of feeling it out and seeing if it's right for you because it is it's a lot of work and um it is definitely a commitment like even on my non-clinic days i'm working i'm i'm interpreting labs interpreting genova kits i'm signing off on stuff and and ultimately it's a labor of love but if you are committed to it i would say start with some of the um ifm advanced practice modules and and you know kind of see if it if it speaks to you and um and then just start dabbling in it. And, and ultimately, you know, I started with working with my loved ones, you know, my father-in-law, my wife, my children, myself. And it's, you know, as you see these changes benefiting you from a health standpoint, it's kind of hard to ignore. And then if you can translate that into practice somehow, and, and I'll be honest with you, like, I really didn't think I would get the kind of warm embrace that I get from all my colleagues. I mean, ever since, and I've been in this ER for, I think almost four years now, um, ever since I started there and word got out that I was doing functional medicine, um, you know, nurses, ancillary staff, my own ER colleagues are constantly coming up to me, asking me questions, personal oh, questions, great. or how would you interpret this? Or they're just, there's this kind of desire to learn. Mm-hmm. And, and I think truly that's what medicine should be. You know, we've lost that somewhere along the edge or, or along the way where this, this childlike or intellectual curiosity where we just stopped asking why and everything became about diagnostic codes and insurance Mm -hmm. and billability and all these other things. It's, you know, the beauty of functional medicine is I'll never know everything. It's constantly going to evolve. And I can just keep saying why, like a five-year-old over and over again, why, why, why? Mm -hmm. And you get the answer. It's just, it's awesome. I think that's really a great thing to kind of 
spread out there as a message too, because I think it's common for people who are just getting into functional medicine to feel like they're ultimately going to be like an outcast in their field, mm-hmm. and to yeah. hear that that's not necessarily that you've been your experience. That's that's great. No, not at all. I mean, even five, ten years ago, it was probably the case, and you know, even the nomenclature has changed. It went from like, um, what was it, alternative medicine right. to you know. And I actually say that to my patients all the time. I mean, when I have a new intake, um, we do a two hour new intake. And so we really take time to sit down and kind of go over everything. And before I even start talking to them about their history, I'll, I'll give them the same spiel, which is kind of like, this is how I see conventional medicine. This is how I see functional medicine. This is how they vary. This is how they're the same. I practice both. So I feel like I can see both sides of the coin. And and I, I essentially say to him, look, it's not voodoo. It's the same brand of medicine just being looked at through a different lens. Right. It's taking a different pers- perspective and approach to the same stuff. It's mm-hmm. just marred in science and physiology and biochemistry. It's literally not voodoo, not witchcraft. It's just literally changing the way you look at it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, and tell us a little bit about your practice. It's clear that it's gained some some notoriety. What what sets your practice apart and, and why is it different from your perspective? Yeah. Um, so I think that Dr. Hartman and I complement each other really well. Um, I think we're similar in the way that we both are just kind of insatiable with regards to learning. And so we kind of play off of that. And it's like, have you read this article? No, let me see it. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about this case? And so we kind of kick things back and forth and we're constantly learning from each other. And I mean, he was huge in my, in my educational process. I mean, he was kind of my mentor and then now we're colleagues and now he's asking me questions and I'm asking him questions. And, you know, he said it to me the other day, he's like, you know, this is great. I've never been someone who's really worked well with others until mm-hmm. you came along. And, and right. I feel like this is a marriage that's been made in heaven. And it's really the, the truth. Cause I'm the same way. I've never been, my strong suit has never been really asking for help or showing vulnerability. And that's all completely changed ever since I started doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's because of functional medicine. It's because of the way our practice is set up. But I think alternatively, it's because we both have a personal attachment. He with his daughter and her journey and me with myself and, and how I was able to completely reverse my health. I mean, I was 60 pounds heavier. I was on blood pressure medicine. I was pre-diabetic. I had heavy metals. I had mold toxicity. I had gut dysfunction and SIBO. I have none of that now. And and that's not by coincidence or accident. I mean, that was a lot of hard work, but it was functional medicine that guided me through that. It was a lot of Genova tests and other functional testing that got me through that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, I think that brings an authenticity to the table. You know, when my patients are ultimately overwhelmed because it's overwhelming or frustrated that they're not getting better as quickly as they might have expected. And you have to reassure them this is kind of the marathon and not the sprint. And Mm -hmm. this is chronic care and this is undoing decades of stuff and lifestyle changes don't happen overnight. And they get tired of the supplement count going up, which happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. But then I can share with them my story and say, look, this is what happened with me. And, and, And I'm totally open with them about that. And like, this is what I had a hard time with. And this is where I succeeded. And then last but not least, I think would be the fact that we both still have one foot in the conventional medicine world. He Mm -hmm. still has a huge primary care practice and I in the ER. And so, you know, we kind of have our finger on the pulse, especially with like the pandemic that's going. And and ultimately, you know, here I am practicing preventative care and functional medicine and all these things that we were doing to kind of help patients not get COVID or not have a bad outcome or when they contract it, feel better more quickly or prevent long haulers or whatever the case may be. 
And then on the flip side, in my alternate universe, you know, I'm seeing the downstream effects of what it can do mm-hmm. in a devastating uh-huh. fashion. And so it, it completely gave me the perspective from literally prevention all the way to death and allowed us to kind of bring that to the table and mm-hmm. be open in our conversations when our patients were scared. And so I, I think it's, as with anything, it's multifactorial. And I think that's kind of how we are a little bit different. I love it. And we know that this practice is very, very busy and it's huge. And I think if we're going to start to talk about clinical, like how to apply things clinically, you're the perfect guy because you're in the middle of it. So although we know all cases and patients are a bit different, when a new patient comes into your office, where do you find yourself starting in most cases, like gut, nutrition, HBA? Like how do you put it together to know where to start? Yeah, um, gut for sure. I mean, even in the absence of GI symptoms and and right or wrong, this is just the way I do it. Um, everybody gets a poop test. Uh-huh. <laughs> everybody gets a GI effects because it's easily bang for buck, low hanging fruit, transformative. Um, I mean, it just provides so much information and, and, and anyone that has dabbled in functional medicine or knows it well knows that when in doubt, start in the gut. And you don't have to have GI symptoms. And, and sometimes my worst GI effect results are the ones that swear up and down that they poop every day. Right. They never get bloated. They never have heartburn. Yep. They never have pain. Yeah. But they have every reason to need one of these tests because they have a mood disorder or they're chronically inflamed or they have autoimmunity, all of which is affected by the gut. So mm-hmm. easily that's the first test. Um, most patients also get uh, a metabolomics so I can see kind of a nutrition evaluation um, look at their mitochondria, cellular energy, oxidative stress. That's a huge bang for buck test. I mean, that one's just a beast, the amount of information that you can get. And then usually, um, I mean, because who's not stressed, I do an ASI or adrenal stress index. You know, I tell a lot of my patients, if you get your adrenals right and your gut right, you can solve like 80% of the problem, regardless of what the problem is. And, And that's usually pretty true. Um, and, and so those three are probably my go-to tests. And then, you know, depending on who they are, how they presented, um, what their workup has been in the past, what's been tested in the past, um, I'll, I'll kind of expand upon that. Usually we do some blood testing. And so we cast a net and then we see what we catch and then we, we build a foundation and then we just kind of go from there. I love nice, that. Nice. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of experience with the testing. Do you have like a specific case study that you're interested in sharing um, where functional medicine testing has maybe made a difference in your approach? You gave a couple of good examples, but I'm wondering if there's anything else there that you you have at the ready. <laughs> yes, I do. I do actually have one at the ready. So um, this, I don't have a lot of pediatric patients, although I do see some Um this pediatric patient is a special little girl who has a special place in my heart. Is actually my daughter, um, Eden. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, she was part of the reason that I that I went on my functional journey. I mean, she was my firstborn, and and she was the one who, after she was born, I had this like you know realization like, this is not health. Like, I need to be better for this little being. And then along came my son Gabriel, and it was like, all right, now I have two, so I, I need to be twice as good. Mm-hmm. And and so. <laughs> Um, with Eden, um, she was three and a half at the time and she was not overtly symptomatic. And so that's the beauty of the story is that ultimately I think this probably would have been missed and or not diagnosed for years to come, maybe even to this day, if not for the GI effects test. And so, um, she would get bloated after meals and she would be constipated all the time. And sometimes she had steatorrhea which at the time wasn't so overtly obvious. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that was about it. It wasn't like she was complaining of abdominal pain. She wasn't vomiting, but I, I knew 
because I was concurrently going through my training and doing GI modules and, you know, you become like hypersensitive to everything and everyone has a functional medicine problem and now you just right. can't turn it off. Right. <laughs> so, and so I was looking and I was like, I talked to my wife and I was just like, I, I want to do a poop test on her. I think there's something wrong. I think we're missing it. And, and I feel like even though she's not symptomatic, it could be better. So we did. And her EPX was through the roof. Um, wow. IGA was elevated. Hmm. She was, um, fat malabsorbing. So fecal fats were elevated. Um, she had dysbiosis and she had some yeast overgrowth. And so for me, it was, okay, I'm kind of learning how to do these. What does this mean? Looking them up, reading about them. And, um, I was like, all right, so she's got a food trigger. Great. Let's figure out what that is. So we did some food sensitivity testing and dairy came back and wheat came back never once thinking that this might be something beyond maybe food allergy or food sensitivity mm -hmm. i have some food allergies and sensitivities mm -hmm. um but then we did a celiac panel on her and everything was through the roof Whoa. tissue transmutaminase anti-endomycial anti antibodies anti-gliadin um all of them and so i did not bring her to gi to get a biopsy because i didn't see the point for me this was a slam dunk with right. the sensitivity and specificity of those new markers um so we said we think she has celiac and we went gluten-free as a family um i put her on enzymes and probiotics and a botanical course to help with the dysbiosis six months later i repeated a stool analysis another gi effects and it was completely normalized wow and she has been thriving since um she won the literary award in kindergarten Yay. she's got more energy than the three of us put together i can guarantee that maybe not as much as patty but <laughs> definitely me and you michael but you know the short of the long is i don't think it would have been diagnosed there's no celiac in our family that we're aware of ultimately we've come to discover that i have a gene my wife has a gene and eden has both mm -hmm. um and so clearly there's the genetic predisposition there but there hadn't been that epigenetic trigger for anybody up until this point in time. And, and she had it at a very early age. And the fact that we were able to figure that out and do that made us all healthier because I wouldn't have gone gluten free and now right. I am, and it's, I'm better for it. And, and it's easier to do now than it was five, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she owns it with such grace and has from such an early age and the more and more we learn about celiac, the more we know that every time you take a gluten hit, you you form an immunologic scar. And it's just like this empowerment of protecting your child from future damage to their body and mm. future potential autoimmunity or the correlation with lymphoma that celiac has and all these other things is like, you know, a really kind of proud moment. And so I think without these types of testing, that wouldn't have happened. That's amazing. That's incredible. And the other thing that it makes me think of is like, you know, as a parent as well, the fact that you were able to catch it early really sort of, I, I assume, made it easier because it, it's so difficult to get children once they've been accustomed to a particular diet. You know, it's so difficult to sort of steer them in a different direction. And that's always one of the challenges with pediatrics and functional medicine is like dietary changes are so hard for mm -hmm. parents. And so to catch it yeah. at an early age and to be able to shift. So it's sort of that early lifestyle change. That's I love that. That's such a great point. And that's absolutely true. And we were so lucky in that regard because I do see some pediatric patients and um, it's hard. It's hard for them to make that change. And, and unfortunately they're not always supported by their family. Like mom brings them in and mom and daughter are doing the gluten-free, but dad and sons don't want to. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not a family wide change. And so they're just like, screw it. I'm not going to do it. Um, but catching her early, that's how she grew up eating. And so that's all she knows. And, and it was, as you said, Michael, I mean, it's, it was really, really important for us because, 
now they, I mean, we talk about poop in my house all the time. And it's just like, <laughs> we talk about poop, we talk about food, we talk about protein and fats and carbohydrates and all these things. I just feel like I'm, I'm raising these little warriors that just understand and get it. And we have eight raised beds now we grow our own vegetables and they're out there pulling veggies straight from the garden and i'm like that was not my childhood i mean Mm -hmm. so it's just really kind of nice to be able to do that i love that i love that well how about within your practice are there other transformative cases that are similar i mean eden's case is pretty transformative do you have others that are similar yeah so um going back to what i mentioned about the gi test with regards to absence of gi symptoms that this one case kind of stands out um, there's a 30 year old male who came in for major depressive disorder who basically had been on pretty much every antidepressant, anti anxiety medication under the sun, um, had tried every form of therapy, um, and just really wasn't getting any better. And so came to see us. And as per many, he swore up and down, his gut's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. No symptoms at all. And I was like, well, you got to do a poop test anyway, buddy. Sorry. And he did. And it was like easily one of the worst ones I've seen. He had five or six different bacteria overgrowing, potential pathogens, Klebsiella, Citrobacter, Pseudomonas, two strands of yeast, one Candida, um, had a parasite, had leaky gut inflammation. And so, and again, asymptomatic, right. allegedly. Right, allegedly, <laughs> so, right. So it, um, it is a man we're talking so, about. Right, He's like, yes, this is normal. Everything's right. fine. Yes, yes. So, so we treated his gut and pretty aggressively, um, even in the absence of symptoms, because for me, he wasn't asymptomatic. He was absent GI symptoms, but he clearly was symptomatic in other ways. Mm -hmm. And so we treated his gut and it was incredible to see. He used to come down again, he's 30 years old. He used to come to the practice with his mom and divert his gaze, never look at me, sit in the corner, Mm -hmm. really monotonous tone. She would answer for him most of the time. Now, when he comes, he comes by himself. He sits in the chair. We chat about things. He looks right at me. He's totally happy. And like, it's just amazing how these things just transform a life and give that life back. Mm. Um, and so that was a good example of how a GI effects can actually affect someone that doesn't have a GI complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, another would be um, this other case. This gentleman was, I think he's 42 um, since childhood, constipated. Um, because of that, has developed a negative relationship with food. Mm. Um, and ultimately ate like the four or five same things every single day because they didn't cause symptoms. And he had seen GI specialists. He'd been scoped from head to toe, had CT scans and all the other tests. And he was just told, this is your lot in life. I'm sorry, we don't have an answer for you. Just continue to eat those four or five foods, which is like, to me, just unacceptable. And Mm so, um, for me, when I, when I spoke to him, I was like, I think you have SIBO or EMO And, and with the constipation, you know, I kind of explained to him what intestinal methanogen overgrowth was. And we did a breath test on him and it was highly abnormal. I mean, he had emo, his, his methane and, and, and hydrogen scores were through the roof. Um, and we put him on a low FODMAP diet. We put him on botanicals and pro-motility agents, digestive enzymes. We did a betaine hydrochloric acid challenge. And the guy just wrote me the other day, he's pooping every day. He feels awesome. He's starting to introduce foods, whole life transformed, flipped on yeah. his head, one yeah. breath test. And yeah. like, what, 40, 30, 40 years, the guy has been dealing with this and he's just kind of told, yeah, sorry, you got to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's good to know that these tests actually do change lives. That's amazing. Oh, for sure, over and and over again. And I love, too, the fact that one case you mentioned was more around mental health because, I mean, I 
I don't, it's, I don't know. I'm not trying to be uh, narcissistic, I guess, but I have such an interest in mental health, and I feel like it's one of those areas where we don't often. Maybe we think about nutrition, perhaps, but we don't often immediately reach for a stool test to, for our patients who have some sort of mental health condition. And the fact yeah. that it's, it can have such dramatic change, I think, is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. And I think that that is thankfully changing. And and I think there are some functional psychiatrists out there, and I think a lot of people that practice this. Uh, um, do take that approach because of the gut brain axis, because the more we learn about it, I mean, if you're, if your guts inflamed and leaky, your blood brain barrier is inflamed and leaky. And if your guts dysbiotic and full of endotoxins and other things, then, then your brain's inflamed and, and you're going to have depression, anxiety, OCD, attention deficit, brain fog is a common complaint. Fatigue is a common comp- complaint of neuroinflammation. And that tends to all stem from the gut, at least until proven otherwise. And and so, you know, I feel like that approach is becoming the norm and should be, um, including like other conditions that are brain related, like dementia and Parkinsonism, that we're seeing these correlations between dysbiosis and how it might be starting there and ultimately leading to these downstream effects that we thought were the be all and end all of these these processes, but they're not. And um, the more that we can intervene earlier, the better off we'll be. Um, another case that I just thought of is this woman in her 30s who had no family history of colorectal cancer at all, um, no family history of IDD, um, had some GI complaints, and ultimately we did a stool analysis on her, and she had dysbiosis and some other things going on. We treated it, and typically what I do is we'll do one, we'll treat, and then if we can clinically correlate, we do. If not, we just kind of draw a line in the sand X amount of time later, a couple months, and then repeat the test. And um, we repeated her test and all the things that we were treating got better, but her calprotectin went up. Mm. And I didn't know why, and I couldn't explain why. And she had mentioned that she was maybe taking some NSAIDs for some knee pain. Um, so I said, all right, well, stop taking those. Let's do um, a gut healing protocol and repeat the GI immunology test that you guys have, mm-hmm. which is just the EPX and the calprotectin. Mm-hmm. And it was higher. So I sent her to GI and they scoped her and she had three precancerous polyps. Oh, wow. come on. And this is someone who wasn't due for a colonoscopy probably for like 10 or 15 wow. years. And at, by the time that happened, she probably would have had metastatic colorectal cancer. And so I, wow. I think you guys might underestimate how incredibly powerful some of these tests are in the real world with regards to clinical outcomes, because it's just, it's pretty impressive. Some of the stuff that we see that we weren't expecting, and then we can act upon it. And then all of a sudden there we are with this, you know, the avoidance of this potentially catastrophic downstream diagnosis. And, and, um, you know, I actually work with, uh, uh, colorectal cancer awareness organization here in town. I'm on their board of advisors and it's called um, hitting cancer below the belt. And the woman who runs it, her she lost her husband to colorectal cancer when he was really, really young. And so she has um, a soft spot in her heart for these types of tests. And, and we're actually um, contemplating at our next, uh, at their next event, raffling some free consultations off Yay. for some of the GI effects yeah. um, for patients that want to bid on them to raise money for this. And, and they just did a 5k run to raise awareness. And these are yearly events, but I'm, I'm kind of folding them into some of these other things that I'm doing on the side because I just think they're powerful. I mean, I feel like for me, the standard of care 
should be yearly with your physical. When you see your primary care doctor, you get a poop test mm-hmm. and a Nutrivalor and metabolomics. That's yeah. incredible. And I do one every year on my birthday. I don't know why anybody else wouldn't, you know. <laughs> Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Mine were good. Mine were good. I just good. had my birthday in April. I was proud oh, of my results. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about as far as nutrition? I mean, are you just a person who just works on the diet or do you actually test nutritionally? I hope you don't have we any. Do. We could talk to you we for could talk, all day. I literally, so I hope you don't right? have yeah. Any plans. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, <laughs> we do. I do a lot of metabolomics and Nutrival tests, and um, we do like food sensitivity tests. Um, I, I don't do a lot of food allergy stuff, but yeah, the metabolomics and Nutrival tests are incredibly important. Um, I think they give a ton of information, and, and if anything, you always find some nutrients that the patients need. And the beauty of that test is it's so specific to the patient. Like I mm-hmm. just love the fact, and when I explain it to them their eyes just get wide and I'm like, see all these nutrients. And I'm, and, and I use a, I don't know if anybody else does this. And I don't know if you guys were aware that people might do this the way that you color code your tests with the green, yellow, and red. I use a stoplight analogy for patients. Mm-hmm. So I say, if you're in the green, it's go, if it's yellow, it's slow down. If it's red, stop. And mm-hmm. so typically if it's in the red, we do something. If it's in the yellow, it's kind of patient specific. Mm-hmm. And if it's in the green, you're doing well on your own. You don't really need me. And, and so when we're looking at the metabolomics and Nutrival results, I tell them, look, if you're in the green, supply meets demand. If you're in the yellow, we probably need to hedge your bets. And if you're in the red, we got to act now. And then it has the list of those nutrients individually, what they all do, how a deficiency can occur, what a deficiency looks like clinically, and what foods are highest in it. I mean, how empowering for a patient who's like, overwhelmed and like, I need vitamin A, I need B6, I need zinc. I have no idea why those those are important. Look at why they're important. Look at the foods that overlap, that they're high in, and I'm going to eat more of those foods unless Dr. Jensky tells me otherwise. Mm -hmm. That's just awesome. It's just a huge thing. And so we do a lot of that. Um, We'll supplement based on those results. I explained to them that doesn't mean deficiency, but rather it's uh, more consistent with their metabolic need based on organic acid testing. So kind of where these nutrients are cofactors, if there's kind of a disconnect in that process where it's not as efficient as it should be, pushing those nutrients might allow it to be. So the engine will kind of run a little bit more smoothly or rev a little bit better. Um, I mean, seeing the mitochondria and cellular energy markers, because I have a lot of patients that come to me already having tried to problem solve on their own. You know, I've done autoimmune paleo, I've done low low FODMAP, I've gone gluten-free, I've gone dairy-free, I did food sensitivity testing. I eat incredibly healthy, I don't get it, but then we see that they're malabsorbing or maldigesting or they're absorbing fine, but they're not processing it right. So they see all this beautiful food going into their mouth, but they don't realize that once it gets into their body, it's not being utilized appropriately. And then you can see hard evidence that that's the fact. And then they have this aha moment. And a lot of them are brought to tears because they just thought there was something wrong with them like they were doing something wrong mm-hmm. and the validation that they get, not just from the experience, but from these tests is just kind of overwhelming at times. And it's pretty amazing. That's I love awesome. it. I love it. Well, Dr. Jensky, like Michael said, we can talk to you for hours and well, hours. I have another question. You do? <clears throat> and yeah. this isn't from a testing perspective or anything Personal like question? that. Personal question? Parenting? <laughs> yeah. Parenting question? Well, I've got a lot of those. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I I'll get my wife. Oh, she, she does the heavy lifting there for sure. <laughs> um, well, not like I said, not from a testing perspective, but I feel like there's, there's a little bit, I don't know if debate's the right word, but like this approach to hormones and the idea of like, do we, do we support from a bottom up perspective? 
perspective or do we just go and we give hormones you know at a, and at what point do we make that decision that this person needs hormone supplementation i'm wondering where what your thoughts are on the whole kind of hormone intervention game I want to first say that this was this is not scripted at all. Michael's like reading my mind. It's as if you and I sat down and said, hey, this is what I want to talk about. Um, that's a great question. I'm happy to talk about it because this is a point of contention for me because a lot of my patients come in having seen someone that is, you know, maybe claiming to practice functional medicine. I mean, I don't want to speak badly about anybody, but there are a lot of hormone pushers out there. And it's just like, you know, you present especially from my middle-aged female patients, they see their doctor and they complain of fatigue. And it's like, all right, you're not anemic, you're not pregnant and your TSH is fine. So let's just get you on some hormones. And, and that's just, you know, insufficient, inadequate, inappropriate as far as I'm concerned. And, and then they come in on testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and way too much thyroid medicine. And, and I have to peel it all back, which is not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't just peel it away like a band-aid. You have to slowly wean and you have to pick one at a time so as not to cause problems. So I am not bottom up, I'm top down, which is starting with the adrenals because there is a hormone hierarchy. And if the adrenals are off, good luck getting the thyroid and the sex hormones right. You know, if the gut's off and nutrition's off, good luck getting any of that right. So, you know, working on cortisol and stress, working on the adrenals, um, that's where I focus first. And then Thyroid might be normal, but not optimal. And we talk about what that means. That's another thing that I really push in my practice is that this is individualized. And just because you're in some range that medicine says is the normal range, this is not about normal. This is about what's optimal for you. And sometimes their numbers are a little bit outside of that range, but they feel great. And as long as I don't think it is deleterious to their health, we leave it alone because we should be in the practice of treating patients and not numbers. Mm. And so, you know, thyroid will manage after that, we'll, we'll go after sex hormones. And if it has not autocorrected, which it often does, then we'll have that conversation. But, you know, for instance, I'll give you some, for instances, like testosterone, um, typically low, but there's a concept called cortisol steel. And if they're stressed all the time and they're utilizing all that cholesterol precursor to burn all that or, or produce all that cortisol, they're not going to make testosterone. And the way I explain it to patients is you're running, you're telling your body that you're running from the saber tooth tiger. You're not trying to have a baby mm-hmm. running from the tiger, not having a baby. So if you can kind of calm down and work on stress and work on mindfulness and sleep better, and maybe use some adaptogens, cortisol comes down, that overproduction comes down and all of a sudden testosterone goes up and they have more energy and more libido. Um, sometimes I'll use DHEA um, to support adrenals and testosterone production. Um, but then the other caveat would be, you know, are they peri or, or, or postmenopausal? Do we need to give hormones for protective reasons uh, or other things? But, you know, it really depends. It's case by case. But definitely I will do all other things first. Mm-hmm. And then at the back end of that, say, hey, look, we've, we've done it. We've done what we wanted to do. We've done what we were supposed to do, and it's still not where we want it to be. Let's consider some hormone replacement therapy. But even then, you have to be really mindful. Cancer history, are they detoxing appropriately? You know, all these things, you can't just slap on some hormones and, and call it a day. You know, you have to make sure that all the processes that get rid of the, the byproducts um, are intact and appropriate. That Perfect. was root cause medicine right there. Yeah, well explained by yeah. Dr. Christian Jensky. <laughs> well, like I said, we could talk to you for hours. So I have a proposal, sir, that yeah. we can do a, a, a case study, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? 
Michael? I don't know the word you're looking like, for. Like a series of case study episodes. Would you be up like for that? Like a check-in. Yes. yes. Oh, like a grand check yes. Check-in with Dr. Jensky. Yes. <laughs> it's a new segment. I love, I love it. it. I love it. Well, before we let you go, we do have one last question that's a little off topic that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Yeah, we call it the fireball question. It's a totally ridiculous question that has no reason for being a part of an interview. And our question currently is, how do you feel about karaoke and do you have a signature karaoke song? <laughs> um, I am a horrible singer, um, so I don't feel good about karaoke at all. I like watching karaoke. Uh, I don't know that I would be a good performer of karaoke. So no, I don't have a signature song. Have you ever had a dream yeah. where you were like, this is the song I yes. would do if I were a good singer. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, I have to get back to you on that one. I don't, <laughs> we'll do I don't our, know. Our next grand it, round. It depends. My, my music predilection is just all over the place now. My wife plays Taylor Swift all day, every day. My kids are into pop music, which I'm not so big into. <laughs> Somehow, despite all of my previous, uh, uh, you know, resistance to it. I find myself listening to country music now, so I don't even really know where I am. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to kind of figure out what genre I like, and then I'll, I'll circle back and let you know. But All I right. think I could probably sing some country music um, because I can mostly talk it, and, yeah. and I can deepen my voice if I need to and really sound like I know what I'm doing. But uh, I don't have one off the top of my head. I love it. Anyway. I love it. Well, Dr. Christian Jensky, this has been a blast. And like I said, won't be your last appearance, just so you know. Cool. And we want to encourage everyone to check out what they're doing there at the uh, Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine Practice, he and Dr. Hartman. And thank you so much, Dr. Jensky. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You know, I have to say, I'm a little bit worried for Dr. Jensky. In what regard? Well, you know that I, I want him to be my doctor. Aww. And so I just, <laughs> I'm anticipating what could happen if a bunch of people just heard yeah. how awesome he yeah. is. Avalanche, though. Yeah. yeah. He's, he might have to set up like four more practices and, and maybe duplicate himself a couple times. Well, I'm going to take it a step further. I think we should all hang out. I think we should go out and do karaoke with uh, him. He's not going to have time. <laughs> he's not going to have any time. What a good I'm point. Like, we are I sorry, know. Dr. Jensky. I mean, he said he would come back on. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking we'll just have to look to like 2024. Oh, yeah, he's way too busy. Uh, how's now. your calendar look 2024? Plan ahead. Dr. Jensky. Plan ahead. Next time on The Lab Report, Carrie Kepler. Top-ranked athlete, coach, mother, business owner, speaker. Hmm. And here we are complaining about two flights of stairs. <laughs> You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Can I just give you a little bit of advice? Sure. With your 13,000 emails, there's something called unsubscribe. You know, you open it, you hit the unsubscribe button. Do you At this point, do you know how much time it would take me <laughs> to go through and unsubscribe from all the necessary emails? I don't even know where they're coming well, from. Where's the filter? Doesn't it go to a spam folder? Why is that not happening? I here? don't... I, I what, don't know. What's happening there? Just delete know. them all. They're probably half of them are coming from Google trying to convince me to unsubscribe so to free up space. <laughs> right. I don't. I have I no. Don't know. That's I just, ignore it. Thirteen thousand is ridiculous. I have. I'm like. What? Well, I thought you were lying. No, no. You reach a point where you're like, well, I guess I'm never looking at that again. <laughs>